0: Acts chapter 3. I should think about something with me this evening, if you would. Our grasp of the gospel results in our ability to communicate it. Think about that for a second. Our grasp of the gospel results in our ability to communicate it. Have you ever met someone who acts like they know what they're talking about, but they really don't have a clue? <laughs> Uh yes. I've probably been in that boat before where I've acted like I've known what I was talking about, but I really have no idea. But it's quite comical to uh, talk to somebody like that. And um, I know people in this room that would lead them on and help them feel like they don't know what they're talking about in a very kind and gentle manner. <laughs> and uh, it's, kinda, it's kind of an interesting thing, but yet... We as Christians do this sometimes, don't we? We, we think we, we've been in church our whole lives and we can, we've grown up doing these things and we want to talk about certain things about the Bible, but we really have no clue. So our grasp of the gospel results in our ability to communicate it. And so Peter and John are in this state um, right now and they just come from an encounter with a lame man. A uh, lame man is sick from the time that he was born, and he is lame in his feet. The Bible says, and they were able through the power of Jesus Christ, they were able, able to completely heal the man and completely uh, um, give him get him up. And he was jumping and, and shouting and praising the name of the Lord. And at this point in time, again, remember there's a crowd, there in the public, and this man was there all the time, and he was sitting at the gate, beautiful, everybody knew this guy, and he was asking alms, and, and so as this man begins to jump and leap and praise God, and I'm sure he was not quiet about it, he was excited about what was going on, obviously this would draw a crowd. This would get people to talking, and the Bible even says, and we'll actually pick up the story here in Acts chapter 3, in verse 11, the Bible said, and as a lame man which was healed held Peter and John, so I picture him either hugging them or having his arms around them, kind of like, these, these, are my, these are my guys now, I mean, they just healed me, and we're best buddies, and I, this is just kind of the, the, the place in which I picture it, um, uh, As he held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's. Here it is, greatly wondering Hey, what's going on? What's going on with this guy? How come he's healed? How come he's not lame anymore? What did you guys do to him? And so this is really where we find ourselves. And I want to continue on in the passage and go into verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Let's pray, and we'll get into our lesson this evening. Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Again, for allowing us to be here, and Father, for the opportunity that we have to hear your word. And Father, I do pray that only your word would come through, Father, that would be nothing of my doing, but this would only be you. And Father, I pray you'd fill us all with your spirit and that we would have ears to hear. And Father, that we would know you uh, even on a closer and better basis, and Father, that we would know how to present you on a better, in a better way. Father, we just love you so much. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name. Amen, I want to preach to you a message I've entitled "Describing Our Hope." Describing our Hope." Our vision statement for our church is seeking Christ and sharing hope. Seeking Christ and sharing hope." First Peter chapter three and verse 15 says, "But sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, in this verse pretty much sums up our entire vision statement. We need to be seeking Christ. Christ needs to be set apart in our hearts and that we might be able to give an answer to every man that asketh. Anyone that asks us, hey, what's going on with with this, and in particular this, that we might be able to give an answer of that hope. So I want to give you a lesson, a a very practical lesson on describing our hope. We talk about doing this. We say that it's a necessary thing to share hope. It's a necessary thing to share Jesus Christ. It's a necessary thing to get out and, and talk to people about Jesus Christ and about what he's done in our lives. But How? How do I start? Where do I begin? How do I start the conversation? How do I get into this? And this is, I believe, a prime example of what is about to happen. So I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine you are sitting at Tim Hortons or your coffee shop of choice, if you don't like Tim Hortons, Then so be it if you like McDonald's better and far be it for anyone to love Starbucks. But if this is your coffee shop of choice, imagine that you're sitting there with an acquaintance. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be somebody that you work with, someone that you know, and you're sitting across the table from them. They have asked you a question. The question is simply something to do, something to the effect of why do you live like you do? Why do you talk the way that you talk? Or, hey, why do you go to church? Or, hey, how about, why were you able to get through that difficult situation? How did you do that with such grace? And how did, you, how did you get to this point? So some sort of question like that. And you have a decision to make. Do I just say, ah, it was no big deal? Or, ah, that's just a life choice that I made, or kind of fluff it off? Or do we get into this? Do we start talking about the reason of the hope that we have inside us? So what are you going to do? What are you going to tell this person that you're sitting across the table from? Well, number one, I believe that in this story, Peter and John, we need to see the proper deflection of glory, the proper deflection of glory. If you'll look at verse 12 uh, with me, I hope you'll see this very easily. And when Peter saw it, he sees all these people greatly wondering, he answered unto people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though we by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? And then he begins to point the glory to God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied, again, the Holy One, and he begins to call him the Prince of Life. And God hath raised him from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So he's, Peter and John very simply start saying, Look, at, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. It was God. It was, the, it was Jesus Christ. It was him who, who, who uh, uh, um, did this amazing thing. It was nothing of our doing. They begin to deflect the glory away from themselves and put it on God. Now let's play this out just a little bit. Let's say that Peter and John say, Psh, well, yeah, of course we did it. Of course we're amazing. Thank you. You know, maybe you could give us some alms. And they begin, you know, playing this out just a little bit and saying that they were the ones that did this healing. They were able to heal. All these people come running. They begin to say things like, I know, aren't we amazing? Think about that. Maybe we can make a business out of this, they think to themselves. The next time they go to heal someone, what do you think is going to happen? You think they'll be able to? No. Why? Because they took the glory for themselves. Again, I mean, again, let's put this into our perspective. God does something amazing. God does something great. And we say, look at what we did. We do. The, I do. Uh, I, maybe again. Maybe I'm the only one who's standing up here just confessing all my sins before you. But I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who does this. Something great happens. You know uh, that. You know maybe somebody had a good idea, whatever it might be, and we go, "Yeah, that was my idea. That was me." You know, it, it, we we take the glory, however small it may be, when it should all be deflected back to God. I want you to think about this with me. Every part of our lives should easily be able to point to God think about that every part of our lives should be easily be able to point to God all right you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off every part of our lives should be able to point to the glory of God what do you do does your glory point to God or does your glory point to yourself in that moment I know people. Never me, obviously. Would never do such a thing. There's times where you just get frustrated and you want to prove a point. And your glory in all this time in that moment is all about you and what you want. And you're going to blow by this guy and blow the doors off the place. And you're going to be like, ha! They never saw you. They might be able to get your license plate. That's about it. And you feel better about yourself. Right? Everybody been in this situation? And you think, yeah, I just showed that guy. Every part of your life should easily be able to bring glory to God. Your speech, things that you say, things that you do, how you handle yourself at work, whether or not you're stealing from your boss. or, or I mean, all of these things, every part of our lives should, be easy, should easily be able to point to God. So in this instance, you're sitting around and you're at the coffee shop and you begin by saying something to the effect, well, I have Christ in my life. Remember, he's asked you a question or she's asked you a question. You say, well, listen, I have Christ in my life and he is the one that helped me get through this problem or he is the one for whom I live. And so you begin to say, it's not about me. I go to church not for me. I, I, I was able to get through this difficult situation not because of me. It was because of Christ. It was because of him in my life. You see, it's so easy and Satan's so good at allowing us, allowing our pride to get in the middle of this. It's so easy to say, well, I go to church because, you know, it's just a good thing to do. And anyway, I was, that's the way I was brought up. And I, I mean, you can make up any excuse you want. And, or, yeah, I just, I'm, really, I'm just really not that emotional. And so I go through these things pretty well. You know, it's pretty easy to take the glory for yourselves. It's pretty easy to say, yes, it's all about me. And Satan loves it when we do that. But Christ should be getting the glory for our lives. And this point, when you begin to talk like that, and I have Christ in my life, it's pretty easy, this easily leads us into what Christ did for us. I have Christ in my life because Christ died for my sins. And I owe my entire life to Him. I, he's done everything for me, and all I can do is give it back to Him. And I, I, I realize, and no doubt, sin is going to come up in this. What I'm saying is, what I'm getting across is, listen, if we would just take the glory away from us, it would be easy to talk about Jesus Christ. Because really everything that we have, every circumstance that we're into, everything that we, uh, 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 the, the Lord allows us to go through is to draw us closer to him. And it's all because of Jesus Christ and it's all because of God. And so we can easily point to Christ in those situations. And Peter takes it pretty, makes it pretty clear here that sin is not uh, an easy thing to get away from. If you look at verse 13. Uh, He begins to say, uh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus. And watch this. He gets pretty in-depth with sin right away. Whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Peace. Okay, so he begins to already show them, listen, you guys were wrong. You guys did the wrong thing, and again, as you begin to talk about Jesus Christ and why He's the center of your life and why He is everything, you can begin by saying, listen, I was a sinner. I deserve, I did wrong, I did some, some terrible things, and I would even begin start saying some of the things that you have done. Peter gets pretty specific here. He gets pretty specific, and he begins deflecting the glory. Listen, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I was wrong and I couldn't do anything and because of Jesus Christ I owe my whole life to him which brings me to my second point which is our perspective on sin. Our perspective on sin. Look at verse 17.
1: And now brethren I wot that through ignorance ye did it as did also your rulers. Through ignorance they did this. You see peter doesn't condemn them for this he doesn't
0: wag his finger at them and say you guys were the ones you guys did this and you should be ashamed of yourselves and you're a bunch of heathens and he didn't do that you know what he did he said listen you guys did this and i believe it was just
1: because of ignorance i want you to think about something with me unsaved people don't view sin as sin Unsaved people don't view sin as sin. Let me give you an illustration. If you say to somebody,
0: yeah, you know, Jesus Christ is the center of my life. I, I lied all the time. And the Bible says that as I lied, that that was something that was going to condemn me to hell. Whoa, 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 just by lying? Yeah, yeah, the Bible says that lying is a sin. Well, come on, it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah, no, that's what the Bible says. And you so you see, sin, look, sin is lying is a sin. We all understand that. Everybody who's saved and knows Jesus Christ as their personal savior, we understand that. But out there, they don't they don't see that. You know what, you know what their moral compass is usually for most people? There are, there are exceptions to everything, but their moral compass is society. If society will allow me to do it, then and I'm not hurting anybody else, it's fine. I'll do what society allows me to do. Now, obviously, there's different uh, things that could go into that, but their perspective of sin is not the same as our perspective. And so we need to get off our high horse and think that we're something special and wagging our finger at sinners and saying, listen, you're a dirty, rotten, no-good sinner, and you're going to hell. We need to stop that and realize that in ignorance they're doing it. They really don't know. They don't have any idea. They're ignorant of it. They don't realize that taking God's name in vain is bad. I was talking this morning with someone, and we got talking about the hunting group that I uh, spend some time with, and uh, many times the name Jesus Christ would come up, but not in a good context. They're taking Christ's name in vain. And I would say, listen, guys, hey, I appreciate if you wouldn't say that about the person I serve. And they got it. You know, They knew I was a preacher and all that stuff. And and we still have a really good relationship. And you begin to see, oh, oh, he, he doesn't like that. But without that, they have no, no idea. No idea. It's just another word. It's just another curse name. And we, we're beginning to live in a society where people don't know who God is. We're beginning to live in a society where people don't know who Jesus Christ is. And, and so these things they are ignorant of. So be very careful not to point your finger and condemn. They don't think that committing fornication is bad. They view it as a normal societal thing. Court or culture views it as normal. So again, you're sitting at your favorite coffee shop, sitting across the table. Don't immediately become judgmental of the person. Just show them that they're a sinner. The things that they thought were okay are not okay. And just, I was a sinner, Begin showing them that. Listen, I was a sinner. I did this. And and hopefully those questions will begin to come up, which I believe they should. Once they realize that they sin and that the consequences of that sin, I believe you can move to number three, which is the petition for repentance. The petition for repentance. Look at verse 19. The Bible says this, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So, again, Peter standing up in front of all these people, he says, hey, listen, you're, you've sinned, you've done wrong, you've done it through ignorance, but listen, now that you know it's wrong, now that you know that you sacrificed the Son of God, that you sacrificed the Holy One, pay attention now, he says, repent, repent, ye therefore, and be converted. Peter just simply says, hey, repent. Repent. So that your sins can be taken care of. So that your sins can be forgiven thee. What is repentance? What is repentance? Well, again, Strong's Dictionary defines it this way. To think differently or afterwards. To reconsider. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. To feel pain, sorrow, or regret for what one has done or omitted to do. So, again, re- remember, they don't, most, most worldly people, most people that are unsaved, don't think of sin as sin. And so as they think of it, they go, oh, oh, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And there's a, a, a thought process change. They begin to think about sin differently. And he says, listen, you need to think about sin differently. You need to repent. You need to think about your sin differently and realize that it's, it's, it's affecting what god has did or what god has done that's horrible english excuse me repent ye therefore and be converted watch this that your sins may be blotted out anybody who's saved in this room tonight knows that repentance is key repentance is key we must repent we must realize that our sin is wrong our sin needs to be blotted out it is our sin that keeps us from god People need to get the idea that they need to think differently about their sin. Their view of sin needs to be God's view of sin. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only way that anybody can ever truly be saved, is when they see their sin for what God sees it as. I've been in the boat of talking to people about Jesus Christ and saying, hey, you want to go to heaven. Heaven's a wonderful place, and it is. I'm not trying to say it's not. And I play the heaven card, so to speak. And I push that really heavily, and I never deal with sin. And I never deal with the fact that they need a Savior. And, and I'm like, you want Jesus to go to heaven, and you want this, and you want that. And it's almost like Mars Hill, which they had all these gods. And the Bible says that they had a, a, an image and superscription to an unknown god, just in case they missed one. And so Paul says, and he says, he stands before them, hey, this is the God that I want to speak to you about tonight. This is the God that I want to speak to you about. And he begins to preach God to him, but he says, listen, it's not just about adding another God and, well, I'm covered. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you're a sinner. It's about the fact that you need to repent. It's about the fact that you need to change your mind on sin. They must become a sinner in need of a Savior before they can ever accept a Savior and see Him as a Savior. So number three, a petition for repentance. Number four, pointing to Scripture. Verse 24. Jump down to verse 24 with me. The Bible says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. So he begins to go through and even uh, into verse 20. I mean, from 22 on, really, he begins to talk about all these prophets Moses said and, and Samuel and all the other prophets. They all said things. And, and so he begins to point back to scripture and point back to what it, used, what it has said. And, it, and I think this is so important. And I think this is often missing in our lives. I'm not saying that if you're sitting at the table across that you need to carry around a big burly Bible. And at this point in time, you pull it out of your backpack and you slam it on the table and say, we're going to talk about the Bible today.
1: I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to begin backing up what we're saying with scripture.
0: Everything we say needs to come from the Bible. Verses should be coming to support what we're saying. Even the great Apostle Peter used scripture. Why is this so important? Second Peter, or 2 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3, and verse 15, the Bible says this, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You see, it's the Scriptures that make us wise. It's when we point back to the Scriptures, when, when we point back to the Bible, the Word of God, and where all of this information comes from, that it's so important. Scripture should be pouring out to support what we we're saying. then fifthly and finally, we need to show them their position. Their position, verse 25 The Bible says this, ye are the children of the prophets. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father saying unto Abraham and in in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Verse 26, unto you first, under you first God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Here's what he's saying. Listen, these are Jewish people he's talking to. He's saying, Listen, God sent Jesus Christ to you first. He sent Jesus Christ to you first. Why? Because you're his. People. He wants you. He wants you to be with him and he wants you to be next to him. And here's how you do it you have Jesus Christ. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sins and you need to realize that that one that you crucified, that one that you put up in ignorance, though it may be, you crucified him. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the one that was prophesied aforetime. He is the one. Peter shows them that they are in a great position to accept Christ. If there was ever a time to accept Christ, this was the time shortly after Christ was there. It's so fresh in their minds. They could probably still see themselves putting him on the cross and mocking him and wagging their heads at him.
1: They could probably still see it. They are the sons of the prophets as he says here. And Christ was come for you is basically what he's saying.
0: Christ has come for you. See, John 3, verse 16 is a great verse to use because for God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, their position is very simple and our position was the same. We were dead in our trespasses and sins But we're at a point where Jesus Christ loved us. God loved us so much. God loved me,
1: a little boy. God loved me, probably a bad little boy. If
0: I was anything like I was when I was 12 years old, I was a bad little boy. He looked down and said, I'm going to die for that little boy. And at age four, if you can believe that, I, I, there are some people who don't believe that. At age four, I remember it vividly. I began to think that I was a sinner, and I deserved to go to hell, and I needed a Savior. And I knew that I, if, I, if I lived my life trusting in my own self to get me to heaven, that I would fall flat on my face, and I knew I needed something. And there I sat in the back corner of my grandmother's primary church class, thinking... I need help I knew what my position was and immediately I raised my hand when she said is there anybody here that would like to get saved immediately I raised my hand and a lady by the name of Arlene Ford came and got me and she brought me into another room it was Mrs. Yeager's kindergarten classroom She took me to the other room, and I sat here, and she sat over here. And I remember bowing my head, and she explained some things to me. I remember bowing my head and saying, God, I realize that you love me, that I'm a sinner. That's our position. That's their position. Again, if you're in this instance, that's their position. They're at a moment where they're they're at a crossroads. They need to know exactly what God has for them. They need to know exactly where their position is is. And I remember, if just to finish the story, I remember praying a prayer, believing in God, believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I physically remember a load being lifted off of me. At four years old, I, I, I wouldn't stand in the pulpit and lie. I believe that. I remember that.
1: And I remember getting up and hugging Mrs. Ford and thanking her for leading me to Christ. They need to
0: know that God loves them. These people that sit across from you, they need to know that God will punish sin. Absolutely, they need to know that. They need to know that God wants all men to repent. They need to know that they are now standing at the door of decision. And honestly, I hope you're sitting here thinking, okay, these are some good practical tips, which they are. But Pastor Yeomans, there is no way in the world I'm going to sit down across from somebody else at a coffee shop. And talk to them about this. There's no way in the world that I'm going to bring this up. There's no way in the world that when somebody asks me that question, that this is how it's going to go. There's no way in the world I'm going to sit across from somebody and tell them that lying is a sin. There's no way in the world that I'm going to bring the name of Jesus Christ up. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart,
1: the mouth speaketh. I did want to be very practical tonight, but I also want to challenge you with something. We heard a couple weeks ago
0: that we only talk about Jesus when we have been spending time with him. And folks, I want to challenge you if that is your attitude. If your attitude is to say, listen, there's, there's just no way. I can't even picture myself doing that. There's just no way that if somebody asked me a question like that, that I would get into this kind of deep discussion with them. And I'm not going to say you obviously have to use your judgment and and know when a good time is. Probably not, uh, you know, as you're passing somebody on the highway, that's probably not a good time to do this. Use your judgment and find out when the best time is. But again, this is the opportunity in which we find ourselves is at a coffee
1: shop. Why not? Why not take the time? Is it because our heart is not full of Jesus?
0: Is it because our heart is not excited about what Christ has done for us? Is it because we've not spent time with Christ? Is it because we don't have a grasp on this? Is it because we don't know enough scripture? Is it because we don't know what Christ really does? Is it because we're just not able to communicate it well?
1: Again, I want to bring your attention to our grasp of the gospel results in our ability to communicate it.
0: And I'll stand here just as ashamed as anybody else who would stand in my position and say there have been times where I felt I didn't know what to say.
1: I didn't know how to start. I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know how they'd take it. Didn't know. I just didn't know. And to my shame, I just sat there and dismissed whatever we were talking about. And to this day, that haunts
0: me because I thought that was the exact opportunity that Peter had here. Again,
1: imagine. Peter all of a sudden says, ah, no, it was just no big deal. That was the end of it. I want you to look into chapter 4 with me if you would. Look at verse 4.
0: After all this happens, we'll, we'll, again, we'll look into this more next week. But howbeit, many of them which heard the
1: word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Let me get off on a limb here, but if all of us would spend time
0: with Christ, seek Christ, and every chance we got, we would share hope.
1: I believe things would start to change in our society. I believe that St. Thomas or London, wherever you're from, would change. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm concerned, I, and I'm probably more concerned about myself and how little I share the gospel. But I think it's because we don't allow Christ to live in us. And I think it's because we look across the table and we don't really see them how Christ sees them. And so my challenge to you is very simple. I hate this question. I hate it. But if every person in the church witnessed or had gospel conversations the way that you do, what would our church look like? Man, I hate that question. How much of Jesus Christ would be going in the lives of the people around us? I'm just so convicted by what Peter does, and we, again, we've discussed, Peter, Pastor
0: Yelens, Peter's a loud mouth. He has no problem getting up in front of other people. Well, we've looked at this. This is why it's so important to spend time with Christ. This is why it's so important. And if you're here tonight, and you have no idea what we're talking
1: about, you don't know this Jesus Christ, then I challenge you to figure out who he is. Because sin is a real thing.
0: And sin separates us from an almighty God. And the Bible says that someday
1: our sin is going to place us into a place called the lake of fire. And that will be eternal separation from God. But Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if you don't know that tonight, then I challenge you, please come talk to us about that. We want you to know. We want you to know
0: the saving power of Jesus Christ. And if you say, you know what? There's no way I'm going to have those conversations. And I challenge you, just start thinking. Do this. Just start thinking about what Christ did for you. On a
1: daily basis, just every morning, start thinking, what did Christ do for me? That should be a starting point to get you to realize what Christ did.